0: nerdy city flipped our world upside down and made things stranger with their nostalgic suburban horror game Remembrance. then they made our skin crawl with a game based on the videos so gross and disturbing they were termed nasty with their horrifying tabletop rpg nasty now they send us back to the saturday morning cartoons and brightly painted plastic toys we remember from our childhood that were more than met the eye Commandroids. The first installment of the Radical Shadows universe puts you in the driver's seat of your very own transforming robot. With a Kickstarter launching in the beginning of August, you can live out the battles between the heroic Symbatrons and the dastardly Nemecites in a world transformed. To be part of this Kickstarter and contribute, please search for Commandroids on Kickstarter or visit NerdyCity.com for more information. Let's see what the stew has for us today.
1: Welcome to the Gnomecast Gnome Stew's Tabletop Gaming Advice Podcast. Here we talk with the other gnomes about gaming things to avoid becoming part of the stew, so I guess we'd better be good. This episode is brought to you by our awesome Patreon backers like the Bodacious Block Party Podcast Network, the fabulous Fabrice Bulacchia, and the magnificent Martin Ralia, the original gnome. Hey, Martin, if you want to come back and write for the stew, just, you know, shoot me an email. I'm in, I, am you know, I'm just as much in charge as John is now. Today, we have myself, Ange, along with Jen and Matt, and we're going to talk about navigating the casual. How do you handle mixing hardcore and casual players at your table? Before we dive into that main topic, though, let's ask our get to know a gnome question. Matt, we're going to start with you. At what point did you realize you were in this hobby for life?
2: Oh, gee. Well, I have two answers to this. So the first one is when I was about 12 and my aunt told me that you couldn't possibly ever do this for the rest of your life. And being the <laughs> obstinate son of a bitch that I am, Took I said, a oh, challenge. yeah. <laughs> challenge accepted. <laughs> the second answer is, I-, I don't know. I mean, are we sure that we are? Is this not just a phase we're going through? <laughs>
1: <laughs> i mean maybe maybe you know not to call out jen's age but she's young enough that it, maybe it's a stage maybe she'll grow up. i'm out currently a bit, at but... a
3: half of my life phase i'm 25 <laughs> and i started at 12 <laughs> <laughs> believe
1: yeah yeah it's been half of your life i was gonna say 25 is not half of your life i was about i was about to get angry at that <laughs>
2: I mean, it might be you know if, if she gets really fat like me and has heart problems. <laughs>
1: <laughs> did you have it? Did you have a moment of revelation when you realized you were in it for good, Jen?
3: I think the moment that I realized I was serious about it, uh, when my brother moved out of our parents' house, he left behind a Savage Worlds rulebook, and I asked him if he wanted it back. He's like, "No, you can keep it." That game never really clicked with me, and I read that rulebook seven times in one weekend. <laughs> i was like i really like this game i want to run this game and i set about making it happen so
1: yeah for me it was a point probably uh i was in college and the guy who had recruited me into playing D D joins the reserves and he was going to be gone for six months and that was going to be forever and, and, you know, if I like look, I look at it now and I'm like six months, six months is a blink of the eye. But back then it was like, oh, God, six months. And there That's will be eternity. no eternity. There will be no gaming because Tom is gone. What am I going to do with myself? And I realized that I was in this for good when I worked up the courage to go to a game club meeting where there was nobody there I knew.
3: There you like, go.
1: Like, this was not a thing that Ange did back in the day. Ange always took a buddy along. You know, she always, I always had somebody with me to be my life support. And I made the decision to go to this game club meeting by myself with nobody there. And that was when I realized, nope, I'm willing to go to some pretty extreme, for me, lengths to keep making this happen.
3: Awesome.
2: Fun aside, uh, there are maybe five or six ladies at my office who have decided they want to start a ladies night D and D group and go out to Hell the local yeah. game store. Not because they have really any interest as far as I can tell in D and D, but because they think it'll be a great place to meet guys.
1: Mm. <laughs> <laughs> They'll meet some kind they... of guys. You, you know yeah. what? My my money is on at least half of them are
3: going to get hooked on the hobby.
1: Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Yeah, once they get into it.
3: In my college gaming group, I learned to get really good at board games out of spite, so that could happen, too. (laughs) (laughs) Guys were really condescending, and I'm like, all right, I'm going to get really good at this game they love so I can beat them.
1: (laughs) That was was me in EverQuest.
2: How many times did they have to explain the rules to you? That you already knew before you just had that revelation and decided to crush them.
3: (laughs) It was actually that I asked them to teach me this game because it looked really fun and they condescended to me for the next hour and a half. And I hate that. I hate being condescended to. So I spent a full semester getting really good at Dominion. It was a great use of my time (laughs) in college.
1: (laughs) So let's get into our main topic. Yeah. Back in January, Matt posted an article called A Solution for Drop-Ins Casuals and Other Sans Character Players. And when coming up with a topic for today's episode, Jen, Matt, and I decided that would be as good a topic as any to talk about. Now, as writers for the stew, you can imagine that none of us qualify as casual players. But not everyone dives into RPGs with the same level of obsession, so... You know, unless you're going to ban every single player who isn't as into games as you are, at which point you're going to start having a very limited selection of players, you're going to need to figure out how to navigate gaming with folks of differing levels of commitment. Matt, why don't you give us a little summary of the article you wrote and, you, you know, what made you write it?
2: So, back in the day, I had a couple friends who would just casually drop by the house whenever they were in the neighborhood and felt like it and invariably this would end up on like saturday afternoon which was gaming day and so half the time they would sit there staring at people trying to strike up conversations while it wasn't that person's turn to act which was kind of a pain in the butt (laughs) and then half of the time i feel like it wasn't accidental it was intentional because we Intentionally hadn't invited them and then they just happened to show up and they're there like, Oh, of <laughs> course I'll play. But in either instance, when we tried to get the person to play and they just were, eh, or whether they were dropping in unannounced as a ploy to play, you know, they, they bogged down the game with, Well, give me several hours to make a character because, of course, we're playing three-point something back in that day, and uh, you know we were never at first level. So (laughs) there was all kinds of shuffling of rule books and talking about concepts and so on and so forth. And I was remembering that and thinking, you know, what would have been really helpful is if we had just had a handful of characters to just hand to this guy when he showed up and said, (laughs) here you go, this is our selection that you may choose from this afternoon. And uh, so, I mean, that's basically the premise of the article is, hey, I know that's a pain in the butt, but here are ways to make it a little bit easier to have this stable of NPCs just hanging around in the case that your friend keeps dropping in and wants to play. Or doesn't want to play, but I don't care if you're going to be here, here's your character.
1: I haven't had that experience, but I have had experiences with players who are just not as into it as other players yeah and and had to deal with their level of interest what's what's your experiences with this gen?
3: so i had a dnd campaign that was years long in the making and i actually had it die because a player joined who was so disengaged that she made it unfun for everybody else <laughs> so that was a rough one i learned a lot from that one and if i had had more of a spine as a gm i probably would have asked her to leave you never want to do that but when you have someone who at every attempt to interact with them or to get them to engage in any way whatsoever besides i hit it with my axe literally and they just never do i mean there's only so much you can do but what i did in that case was i kept trying to throw her combats because that was the only thing she cared about so it became a very Mm -hmm. combat heavy game which no one else really cared about (laughs)
1: Yeah, we had a, you know, and and I think one of the things to keep in mind is, you know, if you are the GM, if you are the group organizer, you have to kind of figure out where your where your boundary yeah. is. You know, is it the, this player is dragging things down enough that we don't want to play with them anymore? Mm-hmm. Or is it like... We're okay with them not being as invested in the game yeah. as everyone else, because we enjoy their company. Yeah, there's a line. And you gotta find that line. Yeah, I I had a- we had a woman back in- back a decade ago who would game with us, who was in the middle of her, her residency, mm-hmm. and was therefore constantly exhausted. Sure, yeah. And she would constantly <laughs> fall asleep in the game, and just, we would, like, nudge her, and she'd, she'd pick, you know, without even questioning what was going on, she'd pick up a 20 and roll it, roll it, and go, is it dead yet? And it's like, no, no, that's initiative. <laughs> We're rolling initiative. But, you know, all she wanted was just a little bit of a, yeah. a you know, a, like a release of where she could come. Yeah, absolutely. And hit things with her axe, but she didn't necessarily drag things down, because most of the time she would just fall asleep, and we would yeah. go play around her. Yeah,
3: this one, she was disengaged to the point of distracting other players like she would be playing stardew valley on her phone and i'm like hey no
1: (laughs) oh conversely we had another player a few years later who was (sighs) we stopped reminding him of when gaming was happening so he just slowly faded away yeah but he was so disinterested in the game he just wanted to be there for social reasons sure. and he was so disinterested in the game itself that every time you know like he was completely unengaged during any sort of role playing scene and then during combats we would have to like it was like hitting a brick wall every time it was his turn because we would have to stop and explain everything that was happening yeah. because he hadn't been paying attention yeah and even when he was paying attention he didn't understand what was happening so he would Brick wall stopped, everything, and it was just, the the jam was trying to make him more engaged and doing it in ways that were counterproductive to the game, like giving him cool magic items that, you know, would hopefully make him more interested in what was happening. And I'm like, you're rewarding him for bad
3: behavior. Yep. That's not good. Yeah, very true.
2: And that's especially difficult when they're not just not interested, but when they're actively pulling attention from other people and wasting time and stuff like that although as a player i often just kill these other characters in their sleep and then that solves the problem Uh, (laughs) (laughs) no i only did that twice
1: (laughs) and you're old enough i'm I'm gonna say you know i You know, that sounds like a very 80s, 90s thing to happen.
2: So, (laughs) Well, you know, in one of the cases, there was just this guy who would come to every game and he'd intentionally make a character that did not mesh with the rest of the party and then give (sighs) some kind of excuse. Like this one time we're playing this campaign of a bunch of evil characters to do evil stuff and blah, blah, blah. He makes a freaking paladin. And then he's there like, no, it'll be great. I'll do this whole you know, fallen paladin arc, you know, and just so give me a couple sessions like this and then I'll, I'll fall from grace and become a blackguard and blah, blah, blah. And it'll be great. Only, you know, he literally spent the first several sessions just being a giant pain in everybody's butt until finally, since my character was also evil and had a bunch of poison, he got up one morning and ate his oatmeal and dropped over dead after six con saves. Because I had just, it's like, I've had enough of the paladin getting in my business. Dead.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, like, some of that is, some of that type of thing, and some of what you were saying, Jen, comes down to, you know, table management from the GM side. It's one thing to have a player at the table who's just not as into it. You know, like, they want to be there because they want to be social, but they're just not as into the game. But you as the GM still need to put your foot down, and you can't let them derail the game or distract from the game or you know i mean like i play with a bunch of folks that that all want to be there are all invested in the game all invest in our characters and we still have trouble getting on track and staying in focus sometimes you know it's like you know so when you've got a player there who would rather just be hanging out and chatting it's like no no you need to put your foot down and be like no no we actually want to game so let's get into it
3: so let me ask you guys this. So we've been talking about like campaigns and home games and stuff like that. How do you manage this in a con game? Because I had a scenario at Gen Con. I was running for Magpie Games this year, and I had someone up to my table saying, hey, I have no idea what this game, everything else I wanted in this time slot filled up, so this is kind of my last choice, but I still want to play. And the game in question happened to be Bluebeard's Bride, which is kind oh, of a hard boy. sell. <laughs> How do you guys manage that in con games, particularly?
1: Ah, uh, it's it's so. For me, usually there are enough other players at the table to keep the game moving, and you can kind of jam around the person who's not quite yeah. into it. I, I ran Tales from the Loop at Origins a couple months ago, and I had this fellow at the table who. He seemed to be enjoying himself. He was smiling. He was, you know, he was there, but he was just not getting the character and not really doing anything when, you know, when things were happening. Like I'd turn to him and it'd be like, okay, what do you do? And one of the, the issues with that is his character in that particular scenario kind of is supposed to be the emotional anchor because it's his sister that's in danger. <laughs> But the player just wasn't into it. Like, he was not, like, he did not get into the, like, every other time I've run that scenario, when that player finds out the sister is missing, it's like, full bore, I need to save Lindsay. And this guy was just like, oh, okay.
2: I didn't really like her anyway.
1: (laughs) It was just like, she's your anchor. She's supposed to be the most important person in the world to you right now you know and it was just like the rest of the game was fantastic all the other players were super into it i had a bunch of i had a bunch of grognards who were happily diving into their stranger things vibe you know nice. that's that's what i that's had that's a good feeling except for that one player who was just like he was there he was enjoying yeah. himself he wasn't a problem he just wasn't he wasn't diving in as much as as possible but the rest of the game was fantastic so it's like you can kind of just try and navigate around them. Yeah. The problem is is when you have a table
3: full of them. Yeah, that can be big rough.
2: Well, I don't GM at cons. I tried to put a game together for a con once, and I got zero uh, people signing <laughs> up for it. So that's my one experience of being rejected at the con level. <laughs> but something that I, I uh, noticed, and I think I've told this story on the Gnomecast before, my wife does a lot of roll Twenty. And uh, one time I said to her, you know, you got to give other people spotlight time because I hear your side of the game and it sure sounds like it's a conversation between you and the GM. And I very rarely hear other players getting involved. (laughs) And maybe you should back off a little. And she says, I'll, I'll leave the headphones off and put it on speaker next time. And she did. And basically... Every other player at the game was exactly that guy. When the GM said, Hey, you know, so and so, how do you feel about this? The answer was invariably, uh And so sometimes you <laughs> can have like this active player that's just there like F it, I'm taking the reins. Yeah. And and help in that manner. The the issue is then of course, are they really helping or are they steamrolling everyone? Yeah. <laughs> that's a that's an actually
1: it, that the fine line that a GM needs to learn as they, they develop their skills as a GM is the difference between a player that's steamrolling everyone and a player that's taking an active role in keeping things moving. Because it's a fine line sometimes. Jen, what are, what are some of your thoughts on the best way to handle that player that wants to be there but isn't really, doesn't really want to invest the time into completely learning the system?
3: So what was good at that at that Gen Con table, what was really good that that player ended up doing, she didn't end up wanting to do a whole lot on her turn with her character, but she was really good with offering up just general suggestions of like what things could be and what other people might want to look at, mm-hmm. things like that. And I'm like, okay, that's something. She's paying attention. She's here. <laughs> um, which is totally a step in the right direction, because you can work with that. Yeah. I guess if I have a player who is... Just not not here for it. Just kind of like, hey, I'm here to hang out with my friends, or I'm here to not be wandering around for four hours at Gen Con. I, you know, need a place to sit for four hours. You can always talk to them. What I like to do at the start of a game now, and I learned this from this game, is give the pitch and say, hey, if this isn't for you, you can leave. This is an open door. We'll find another game for you to play. Especially when it was something like Bluebeard's Bride, which is totally not for everybody. Zero percent.
2: (laughs) I don't actually know what that is. Can you give a short synopsis?
3: It is an intimate horror game based on the fairy tale of Bluebeard's Bride, in which the bride is killed for her curiosity. You play different facets of the bride's personality, exploring this castle and eventually coming to the conclusion, do we disobey our husband or not? It's a very emotionally intense game. It's a horror game. It's very, uh, you know, it's intense. So it's... Hard to get that buy-in sometimes.
1: It's an impressive game, beautiful artwork. Oh my gosh, very, stunning. Very well done. I don't think I'm gonna play it. I it's it's not
3: quite for me. So Gen Con was my first four times running it, and I don't think it's in my strong suit as a GM, and I would like to get better at it. But I definitely went easy on people and I leaned more on tragedy than on horror, because that's more mm-hmm. what I'm used to.
1: Yeah. Matt what are your thoughts on on having you know i mean you wrote the article so you have some tips on how to deal with that but specifically with the the player who doesn't want to doesn't care about the system they just want to show up and be there with everyone how do you how do you handle them
2: well so if it's specifically the the system they don't care for then that should be pretty easy i guess you know you just kind of give them the Character concept, or ask them to come up with a character concept, or whatever. And then when they say, "I want to do such and such," you just figure it out, and you say, "Roll a whatever, and we'll figure it out." <laughs> you know, and that—I mean—that comes with a little bit of experience with the system and flexibility and such. Or you know, when you realize this person's not going to be here every week, then you know, just roll a die twenty, and high is good, and low is bad, and we'll call it a day. You know, so. <laughs> So you can go that way, you know, or if you want to upend everything because this player is going to be in your game every week for the next five months, and you don't even want to start it without them understanding the system, yeah, maybe pick a simpler system, you know, so, something that doesn't require them to memorize a three hundred page rule book, or push them towards a simpler character rather than one that's incredibly complicated
3: that was actually something i did after that DD campaign ended and i was ready to start something new i actually uh, gave my players a ranked choice poll on what game they wanted to play i made a powerpoint presentation for them about (laughs) what the five different options were what the pros and cons would be what people might like or dislike about them and then i gave them a poll on google forms and I Peter, went too far on that. One. SWAT
2: analysis...
3: Yeah, I went too far on that one a little, but it was good.
2: <clears throat> College student.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: one thing I would suggest is if you've got a player who really has no interest in learning the system, pair them up with another player. You know, have the have the a player that's sitting next to them who is better with the system, you know, help them when you know, like rather than putting the weight on the GM to have to help the person every time it becomes their turn in a combat thing you know have the player next to them help them figure out what to do next and what they need to roll it's a buddy
3: system you know
1: yeah it's a buddy system like uh i have a friend who she loves gaming she really doesn't care about the system she just wants to role play but occasionally we've played savage worlds and she she doesn't really care for the savage world system because it it's hard to grasp for her but at the same time, there's a lot of games that happen in Savage Worlds and a lot of her friends like to play Savage Worlds. So she ends up in Savage Worlds. And, you know, I've found times where I'll be like, you know, we're in a, we're in a combat scene and I'll be like, Hey, you could do this, you know, and offer her the suggestion yeah. on something she could try rather than just, you know, I hit it or I shoot it. And, you know, cause that gets kind of boring. And if you've played Savage Worlds, you know, there are other things you can do. You just need to know that they exist and, you know, kind of help nudge that along.
2: And uh, in that direction, a lot of games do have those pre-published cheat sheets where it's like, Mm -hmm. oh, here are all the options for within combat. And that can help kind of like, oh, what's this? Although in the case of giving them a buddy, I would say you have to choose that buddy with care. yeah. Because we've all known that player that will just tell other people what to do as opposed to giving helpful suggestions.
3: Yep. Yeah, I always like to, if I'm in that role, I like to make sure I'm giving at least two, if not three options to do, because then I feel like I'm not just telling them what to do.
1: Right. Yeah, no, I, uh, uh my friend Chris has a story of, he uh played Shadowrun at Gen Con, and the GM was fantastic. The GM totally just wanted to let him dive into the story, tell him what to roll and move on. But they had a player at the table who was, you know, like, he was a past-the-bar-level rules lawyer, (laughs) and, you know, like, he kept trying to tell everyone what to do on their turn and all this, and the GM would just be like, you know, just, like, let him rant about what everyone needed to do, and then turn to the player and be like, okay, what do you want to do? Chris would describe some, you know, like non mechanical thing to do in the gym, like, okay, roll these dice mm-hmm. and like it would just like you could see the rules lawyer just starting to turn red in the face because it wasn't you know this this wasn't what you were supposed to be doing
2: it, there There is a certain side of me that when people do non optimal things, it hurts me physically, but um, <laughs> I do tend to try to quash that down because you know play your own damn character. <laughs>
3: Yep, I uh, I did once have a player in an adventurers league campaign. Only showed up for two sessions, thank God. He got actively angry at another player for how non optimized their character build was, and it's like, yeah, but we're having fun, so you can stop.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's the you know that's the other that's the other issue with having a casual player at the table is you also have to manage the other players who might get angry at that casual player. That's you true. also have to be able to mitigate that.
2: There was a really good article I read recently. I forget what it was on. I wish I could remember, but it was basically somebody tried to make a D anD D five E character that was completely an incompetent pain in the ass, and <laughs> had a really hard time. He couldn't. He couldn't figure it out. His character actually ended up being pretty passable. And he's there like, "What's wrong with this system that I can't make an incompetent character?"
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Any last thoughts before we start wrapping up on, you know, navigating the casual? Matt, we'll go with you.
2: Oh, gosh. Well, I think it depends a lot on basically the scope you're dealing with, whether they're dropping in one time and you will never see them again, or whether they drop in every other month and that's okay, or whether they're going to be sitting there at your table every week and just being a squeaky wheel. So, you know, your strategy has to depend on that. One is easier Mm -hmm. to deal with than another.
3: How about you, Jen? I guess if you are the GM dealing with this this player, know that you don't have to take the whole burden on yourself and you can lean on some of your fellow players for help. If you are the fellow players, uh, don't get frustrated with the other player. Just try to help them out.
1: I I think that's reasonable. My last thought, I'll just repeat what I said earlier. You have to know where your line is. You have to know whether that player is a distraction on the game and a detriment to the game or whether it's just you can work with them being not as invested as everyone else. Mm -hmm. Figure out your line and and figure out what you need to do. So this show is funded by the Gnome Stew Patreon. You too can become a Patreon backer by following the Patreon link on the Gnome Stew website to the Gnome Stew Patreon. This ad is brought to you by your game's cliff notes for those times when you can't be on top of everything that's happening in your gaming group. You can use your game's cliff notes to pretend to completely on top of what's happening. If you're enjoying the Gnomecast, you'll probably like many of the other Misdirected Mark shows. Here's another one to check out.
3: The Wednesday Evening Podcast All-Stars. Brett, Tom, Kevin, Chris, and Andy get together and play games that get edited down into an audio drama for your ears. Join this crew of all-star players as they create stories from the games you love.
1: You can find all of us at GnomeStew.com, at GnomeStew on Twitter, and GnomeStew on Facebook. Gnomes, where else can we find you on the internet?
3: Jen? I'm at Jen Cat Writes on uh, Patreon, Twitter. Those are kind of the two big ones. I have another blog at FirstSightSecondThoughts.net that doesn't update anymore, but you can read the archives.
1: <laughs> Matt, I, I I, mean, I ask you every time and you tell me no, but yeah, maybe? No,
2: I haven't suddenly de- developed an, an internet uh, presence. I,
1: <laughs> I'm on
2: Gnomes too, and that's pretty much it. And uh, I mean, I technically have my own Twitter and I think I have three followers and never say anything. So, you know, it's, it's uh, no, not me. How about you, Ange?
1: You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at orikes13, O-R-I-K-E-S 13. Though I will warn you, Instagram is mostly just pictures of my cats.
3: You say that like it's a bad thing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So do you guys think we avoided the stew? Or were we too casual? Hmm.
0: <laughs> Gnomecast is hosted by Misdirected Mark Productions, the media arm of Encoded Designs.
1: Oh, my brain just froze. Um,
3: loading screen. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's like loading screen. Um, Yeah,
0: so. Hi, Gnomecast listeners. Rob Abrazato here with a special announcement. The Indie Game Developer Network, or IGDN, is running its annual fundraiser to send first time attendees to the Metatopia Game Design Conference in November. Gnome Stew, in association with Encoded Designs and Misdirected Mark Productions, is currently matching donations to the fund up to $250. Not only can you double the impact of your donations, but all match donors will also receive a special discount coupon from Engine Publishing. Plus, the person donating the highest amount will get a coupon for a free digital copy of any title in the Encoded Designs Library. For all the details, check in the news section of misdirectedmark.com, check the news and announcements on the Misdirected Mark forums at forums.misdirectedmark.com, or find the link pinned on the Misdirected Mark Facebook page or at MisdirectedMark on Twitter. Thanks for helping the IGDN help others make better games, and thank you for listening.